All right. Three, two, one. Hello, and welcome to episode six of Armchair Philosophers. The topic today is creativity. And I'm your host, Andrew Ryan, and I'm joined by my co-host, Colin, today. Hello. So, creativity. Creativity is what I would like to call more than what people might think of when I say that word. Um, often people might immediately jump to your imagination, what you can do with it, what you can produce with it. But on top of that, I like to see creativity as kind of almost an intuition, kind of like what humans do in tough situations. It's like uh, us building tools or you being able to come up with a solution in, in a minute's notice. And that can that's driven off of your imagination, yes. But sometimes it's like simply looking around what's around you and, and working with that in a creative manner. And I think creativity as a concept and the fact that if we acknowledge it, it is a real thing, is something I could point to and say, this is what makes humans human. And that it differentiates us from most other species on this planet is that how creative humans can be. It's one of the things I would, I would put up there. It's not the definitive thing. Would you agree? Um, yeah, I would. Uh, I think creativity alongside um, imagination, and I know they're linked, right? Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, absolutely. And I think you nailed on the head that it's more than just, um, it's more than just what we think. <laughs> if that makes sense. Like, there's a lot more to it, I think. Right, just like... like you have the you have the imagination where someone can come up with the worlds and the and the kind of universes we've talked about a few of them like Bioshock etc. Mm -hmm. And then you have the creativity where someone invents the iPhone, and then you have the creativity where someone is able to um, look at a rock climbing wall and determine their path up that wall. Yeah, um, creativity contains the what if, mm -hmm. right? Which is one of the most powerful questions. Um, anyone can can ask in any given situation because uh that is the one of the only things that can lead to um a different future right yeah. instead of just being on the railroad tracks you are actually getting to create the railroad tracks yeah and i notice that it's often associated with hope mm. that, that, that is long interesting. i don't know like as long as we have creativity people seem to have hope right Okay. As long as humans can be creative about a situation, there seems to be that hope um, surrounding something. Like, oh, don't worry, humans will figure a way out of this situation. We're very creative and inventive when we right. get, get right. pushed into corners type of thing. I guess because it's an alternative, right? That something mm -hmm. else can be figured out. Yeah. Because you would rather be creative than not. And that, like, it's, it's if you're not creative, you're kind of part of this, like, norm this kind of path forward yeah but uh you heard me talk about if creativity exists well <laughs> turns out a very famous philosopher disagrees would disagree with us on this uh that it exists at all and that famous philosopher is plato <laughs> plato uh thought that there's no such thing as creativity and they thought all creativity was a form of discovery and imitation what do you think of that? Yeah, um, yeah. I have I have mixed thoughts because on the one hand, I um, like I've been described as a Platonist before by people because um, I 
Um, I do st- I do like the idea of the forms. I don't really take it literally whatsoever, but I do understand the sentiment behind the forms, and I do tend to side with it in many cases, um, even if I don't like that, or even if I don't think that I am a Platonist. Um, I like I, I I generally disagree because I'm I'm of the opinion that um, new ideas actually can exist, whereas mm-hmm. Plato would say everything is imitation. But I I fervently disagree. This is like one thing that I love to to argue with people good naturedly, mind you. Um, that like I th- I I do believe in the potential of new ideas and that it's not actually just a recycling of of other things. I think new things can actually come to be. Um, yeah, so uh, I disagree with Plato. My I think it's I think it's provably false. Like Plato's example draws heavily on the arts. Um, in his re- work, The Republic, he talks about a painter, and he goes, "Look at this painter. Is he really being creative when he paints his scenery, or is he just imitating the scenery he went and painted?" Right. And, and I can prove that false by pointing at, pa- at painters who do that, but in a creative way. Um, pointillism is right. a form of art and simply painting the scenery is one thing but using dots to do it is another thing and that's creative even though you're just painting what you see before you you're doing it in a creative way yeah anything in the impressionism uh movement right very easily mm-hmm. um puts that to rest for sure it's almost like plato would rather a world where everything is already done like you 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 just draw upon the experiences you have. And that's true. Like, but you can be creative with those experiences. I think it has less to do with what Plato wants and what he's, what he's arguing for, if that makes Mm. sense. So like, like, I don't, I don't think Plato has like a vendetta uh, against it, but he's saying that, well, his stuff exists as forms. Like, like we are. So if you already have an idea of a tree, no matter how many times you paint, a tree creatively you're still painting an image of a tree that you're imagining well where did that imagined tree come from well it came from this perfect per, uh, perfected version in that one of the forms with a capital f you know yeah. um and so that's what he would say so even if if an impressionist even if you took van gogh even if you took monet and they painted you know this beautiful seascape he's saying well seascape still existed before that painting so screw you guys like he's just he's just being obnoxious about it which is you know fair because he's a philosopher but I think I would argue that creativity is more than being original. Yes, I would. I would agree with that, and I would also say creativity is not just uh, producing like an imitated form, like full full stop. <laughs> yeah, like I think, I think there's a difference between creativity and ideas, and that's where yeah he's confusing them. Yeah, and I mean you can have creative and different ideas, and. We will definitely talk about if that's even possible. But I, mm. I, I want to like look at this like and say like if someone comes up to you and sings a song, and then the next person comes up to you and sings the exact same song, there can be a creative difference in that approach. Mm-hmm. Um, and you you kind of see this like people might be like, no, that's the same song, but like how it's sung, the style, the genre of music they sing it in, like like. All of the all of those decisions going on in someone's brain is a creative choice. Mm-hmm. So I guess I guess we well, we should start off with like where do you think creativity comes from? So yeah, I am a fan of um, like fundamental evolutionary psychology. I don't claim to to be an expert in that, but I, when I say I'm a fan of it, I, I say that like I do think that a lot comes from just evolutionary psychology. Um, 
And uh, I like what you're saying about, you know, it's the thing that kind of differentiates us from most other species. It's the thing that kind of quote, quote unquote makes us human. Um, right. And I, I would, I would kind of, uh, I'm on the same page as that, that um, uh, human beings, you know, uh, doing uh, cave drawings. Um, and even if it's for, like, even if someone were to argue that a lot of art and creativity stems from purely evolutionary things, so purely things for, um, like, like uh, uh, almost as a tool as opposed to a fun expression. Like, it was like, no, we were painting these things so we could describe to one another, so we could go on a proper hunt, so we could figure out, we could plan, we could strategize, you know. That still doesn't, I, I don't think that still ruins the thesis that, that creativity is coming from an evolutionary standpoint. Um, so that's, that's what I think. And I, I, but I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with that. And I also disagree with myself. I also think that there is this expressionistic, non-essential part that creativity, um, it, it also becomes, um, mm -hmm. yeah, which is really quite beautiful. Once um, again, I, I think, yeah. Well, once again, provable because you can pick up a stick and sharpen it and, and that's creative. But you could argue, oh, we're monkeys. Uh, we had to pick up stones and stuff to kill meat um, because we want we wanted to get meat now instead of just you know fruits and nuts and that sort of thing. And then I would point and say, like at some point, you get the personalization of those tools. At some point, the monkey goes, "This is my sphere, and I made it this way, or put this thing on it, or mm -hmm. I drew this on a wall." And there's no point to that. There's no like evolutionary reason to do this other than just tell a story. But there's no other animal that I can think of wants to tell a story to their other members of their species, right? Like, that, it just doesn't make sense <laughs> from any point of survivability. To communicate is one thing, but to, to like tra transfer knowledge, especially make things up and personalize things, vanity, like... Yeah, I, I, I mean, I could stretch it. Like, I could say things like um, distinguishing identities... Right or or mating rituals like becoming more unique and more appealing for mating purposes, you know things like that. Um, but I, but to be honest, like I think that that just that that sort of detracts from the the point, or that detracts away from the like the incredible nature of creativity. Um, and I'd, I'd also like to I don't want this to become too far away, but I, you know I was talking about imagination earlier and how they're connected; they're not the same they're connected that imagination has a lot to do with um imagining like the future so being able to prepare for a day that isn't yet here so oh there's going to be a blizzard we need to stock up now like so you're able to project into the future what you need to do now yeah i think creativity plays a part in that as well and that we need to create something now in order to prepare for to to exist in a future that is different with that creativity with whatever that creativity is produced yeah creativity also goes hand in hand with change a lot of the time mm -hmm. really good one yeah yeah you're an author i am so you you have a creative process right uh yeah i've got yeah what sometimes differs... it's a process sometimes it's whatever happens <laughs> yeah what differs like because for those do you want to plug your book uh i can yeah sure i i write um i write a uh, trilogy of um uh, spy thrillers. The first one's called Ghosts of Guatemala. Second one actually just released recently. It's called Operation Nicaragua. They are spy thrillers that take place in Latin America. Uh, and I'm just about to finish my first uh, YA urban fantasy. That's going to be called Volter's Magic. I expect that to be up in about a month or two. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so those spy fantasies, like 
if mm. I was being harsh and I would and I, I wanna say this for this discussion, I honestly respect your work. But if I was if I was like one of these people that like creativity doesn't exist, I'd be mm. like, Well, you just it it's just the spy genre again. Right. Just, I took James Bond and I ripped it off. Exactly. Yeah. But seeing as I'm one of the people that believes creativity is a thing and that it's something we can measure and something that differs differentiates us into as individuals. Your process takes what is basically James Vaughn and makes it your own. Mm-hmm. Do you want to do you want to talk about how you do that? Like how you get away? Do you like take tropes and then do them really well or change them to echo what you feel about those tropes? Or do you try to purposely break tropes of that genre? Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, it's a really good question because um uh, as you know, but not everyone listening necessarily knows, I'm I'm like a, I'm a sci-fi fantasy guy. I'm I'm a nerd, and I like that stuff. Um, I wrote uh, the spy thriller stuff without uh, a ton of like uh, a ton of knowledge, quite frankly, in, with that genre. Like I hadn't read nearly as much thrillers, or I hadn't um, watched uh, as quite as many movies as someone else, like a, another thriller author. So I was kind of going into it a little fresh. And so what I did is for sure, like I thought of tropes and I thought of, you know, when I first started out, I thought, you know, instead of trying to make this a really, really creative piece, the first thing I'm going to try and do is make this work. And so I went to the tropes first. But what I found very quickly is as I wrote those tropes, it was really hard to make them stale, annoying, cookie-cutter tropes. Because once you start writing, you naturally get creative. And so they became non-tropey very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just think that that's interesting. Like, this, we have this natural lean. Like, I think that there might be a bit of a natural lean for people to lean into tropes and lean into stereotypes and lean into that. But there's also this lean of, like, it's very hard to write genuine stereotypes. It is so, so difficult. I've tried... Like actually in multiple times in all of my things that I've, I've written in all my pieces, I've worked with stereotypes and almost always they shift like without me trying to, without me meaning to, and they become more unique or creative or interesting. Um, so that's just kind of a cool tidbit, you know, on this conversation. Yeah. I want to touch on a lot of people like see like if, if you have someone who approaches a genre with no knowledge of it, you get this fresh kind of view of it. And a lot of people kind of herald this as like a good thing. And like if someone comes into a genre they love, they're more likely to fall into the tropes and trappings that they, they enjoy about the genre. Or someone new to the genre will be like, oh, I'm going to do this with it. And people at first will be like, well, this isn't what I'm familiar with. But then they grow to respect that sort of thing. Yeah, um, that's one of the reasons why I don't write what I read. Um, because I don't even know, like, I don't know how I would do it differently or better or you know i just don't know how to approach it whereas something that i don't read a ton of which is both the genres i write even why urban fantasy i don't read a ton of why urban fantasy um so i get to go into that and really mess around uh which is really um really cool but i still try and respect you know the genre that i'm in i still try and respect the roots i, I try and do you know i still try and create something that fits right but you're absolutely right i had a good friend who you know he's a big fantasy guy but he was trying to read different genres and try and branch out. And he had noticed that, you know, that first book that you read in, you know, romance or mystery or some other genre you've never read before. It's amazing because you're like, whoa, this is, this is like nothing I've ever read before. It's like, well, of course it's like nothing you've never read before. Cause you've never read anything like it before. And then like, it takes 10 books before you're like, oh, you know, that first book actually wasn't 
good. That first book was a bad example, but it was my first time experiencing that. So there is this kind of fresh freshness that comes with that, which is really fun. I think that's great. Yeah. I almost like to think of it as creative Im- intimidation. Like mm. the best example of this I can think of is Tolkien, where he just stands head and shoulders above everyone and his works mm-hmm. are so intimidating that breaking from this is almost sacrilegious it's almost like unthinkable to like be like oh my elves are not these ancient better humans that need to leave the world or my dwarves mm-hmm. aren't aren't scottish people living under the the mountains like <laughs> and we're our, our next episode is on uh tolkien and his works so cool cool We'll go in depth further there, but I, I just want to like touch on how like these like whenever a titan of something comes into play and defines something or changes something about a genre or trope, it can almost be like as a writer, you're just like, well, people are familiar with this, and if I include this, they're gonna buy my book. They're gonna get into my genre easier because they'll be like, they'll have the the. It's almost like building blocks. You have the works of other people, mm-hmm. and you don't have to do as much work anymore because you're using those works right if i read a book it's like oh i know these elves because they're tolkien elves yeah and there's there's nothing i used to think there was a problem with that like i used to i used to be very hipster about the whole thing and it's like oh if you're not doing something different then like it's not worthwhile Mm um a lot of a lot of uh especially now just with the way industries have changed and technology um has worked out in the favor for for authors um independent authors uh there's a number of them who they they find a formula and they find out what their what their niche audience uh, wants, you know. So okay, this this audience wants Tolkien stuff, like Tolkien inspired stuff, or this romance, you know, they really want the vampire uh, romance thing, right? And they just they find that formula and they write like a book every two months or every month or whatever. And these are the ones who are always the most financially successful because people know what they want. Mm-hmm. The writers are writing what they want, and then they just write a, a ton of that stuff. And and like that's that's a that's just a whole industry and that's a whole like career that has now shaped, um, which is really interesting. But on the other hand, yeah, I still, I still, you know, I'm still a sucker for new ideas and, and changing things up, but it's really hard when, uh, when you're dealing with um, what's known as Canon, right. Mm-hmm. And, and not to go too far into that, but, but there's so many arguments over what counts as Canon, what isn't, but I think that that's what you're describing with Tolkien, right. He sort of begins this Canon of fantasy. Well, I mean, Canon is when you're working in someone else's fiction. You're a writer and you're given, like, say you're a Marvel director, right? And you're no, but it can be for a genre. It can be for a genre, too. So so the tropes within fantasy, like, there are certain things that become canon. So your elves have to be a certain way because the canon mm-hmm. set forth by Tolkien, right? Even, even if it's not in Tolkien's work, you're not in Middle Earth, but you're in fantasy genre. So people yeah. expect certain things. I see what you're saying, but I would, I would, I would say, like, there's nothing stopping you from doing something different except the fact that readers might not like it as much. Like that's Oh it. yeah. Canon Canon isn't like I mean, that's when you get into the canon argument of what counts as canon, what isn't canon, can you break canon, you know, so on and so forth. And um, but that's where like that's where the really, really good uh creators, I'm not not just writers, but the really good creators are the ones who are able to, you know, break the rules but they do it in such a way that is still appealing to people. And that is such an elusive thing that, you know, maybe I've hit that once or twice, but it's something that's so hard to get consistent work in. It's like, how do you create something that people are still find, you know, uh, interesting, but not discomforting. 
Like yeah. they're like, Hey, I like what you've done that it's different, but I'm still on board. Like I'm still with you. Yeah. That's a really hard thing to do. You see this a lot in every genre where people value original content over like repeated content. They'll always talk about, Oh, we need more original content, less remakes of movies or less Tolkien universe fantasy novels. But then those same people, or at least the majority of people go out and buy the, the reboots. They go, Oh, Disney's making a remake of my favorite animated show. I'm there. That's my ticket. And that's like right. what drives that's what drives this kind of repeated like original content. You need to seek it out and then support it <laughs> in order for it to thrive. Yeah. And uh I guess that kind of brings us into the twelve monkey theory. Have you ever heard of this theory? Ooh, so I know twelve monkeys. I don't know if I know. Oh wait, hold on. Is this the one with the Shakespeare? The typewriters? Or is that um, I'm not sure where it originated, so I'm not going to okay. go into that. But you the, explain I, it. You explain the, it. The idea is, and it can be any number. Um, the number is arbitrary, but the idea is for every every twelfth monkey will have the same idea as the first one. So every time you come oh. up with an idea, the tenth person or twelfth person or hundredth person, someone will have the same idea as you. And in theory, that means nothing is ever original, and every idea is always being thought of at the same time. Okay. Um, it's a kind I, of meta conscience argument that all like say you come up with an original idea mm -hmm. somewhere in the world at the exact same time certain number of people are going to have that exact same idea it's the theory that no idea is original yeah um so i i know it's a, a different thing that also involves monkeys but i think it's kind of similar in some ways i'll have you kind of decide how similar you think it is it's where um you know if you have an infinite number of uh monkeys working on an infinite number of typewriters that eventually one of them is going to produce Shakespeare. Yes, that's yeah. the that's more of a, like a numbers game like eventually something like that's statistics, right? Yeah, like, yeah. It's statistical uh, creativity. Yeah. Mine yeah. is more well, mine is also that but also like uh, trying to acknowledge that there's some sort of meta consciousness to how humans think. There's some sort of pattern there and that at no matter what, at the end of the day, someone's going to have the same idea as you. Do you, how do you feel about that? I know that you're just presenting it, but how do you personally feel about it? I don't know because I'm a very individualist. I like to think each individual is unique and worthwhile in some way, shape or form. And like, at least in terms of like, you can't group entire groups of people and then expect each individual in that group to be the same as you acknowledge that group to be. Like you can't be like everybody. Everybody who likes Tolkien wants elves always to be this way, <laughs> type of thing, or like everybody in this believes this about something. Um, you see that a lot, where like they kind of like, oh, there's this meta meta narrative in like YouTube comments where everyone's awful all the time, and it's like, well, that's because the people who aren't awful aren't commenting, but they're still watching the video. It's this kind of like, Word, I, yeah, but like. It's hard to say because whenever you look at media, almost all the time, it's like, well, that's that, but they've done this spin on it, so that's why I like it. Like, almost every idea or in unique thing I've seen is based off something before it. Even Tolkien, who we're talking about, a lot of his work is based off work before it, including Norse mythology. Like, the ideas present in his work aren't new. He just presents them in a new way. Right. So, so I, um, 
I, I like I really like Carl Jung, the psychologist. Um, and I, I like his ideas of um like the collective unconscious, right? So that there there is a essentially an unconsciousness that like we have unconscious ideas that are similar in multiple people. Um right like the human human race just has similar ideas unconsciously in many ways so this is where you get into things like um archetypes right so the the archetype of the wise old man and we see like merlin right and characters that are similar like this wise old wizard character yeah. or um you know so yeah so things like that so i think that that's where some of that comes from and i think that that is like i think that that answers a lot of the critique that people have about oh you know there are no new ideas it's it's all just coming from it's like yeah it's all coming from an unconsciousness because we're all human but like that doesn't mean we can't have new ideas regarding those things mm -hmm. which leads me to another saying you'll hear a lot of people often say think outside the box well what is mm -hmm. the box what is this box boom <laughs> <laughs> like right like yeah yeah are we acknowledging that there's something that all humans think in the same way and that you have to think differently like i yeah yeah i think i think it, it's like there's a rule set that emerges in any given situation right kind of like etiquette right so so i know that with my parents you know when we sit down at the table like we say grace if we're having wine we cheers and then we begin to eat and then we comment on the food and it's like if you don't do those things then you know so, like it's not you're you're doing something outside of the rule set right well, we have like we have manners to show us who's worth talking to, who's worth acknowledging. Mm -hmm. Um because man like manners is basically if you don't use them, I now know that you go out of your way to be rude. Like you go out of your way to be unpleasant, right? Mm -hmm. And it's a, it serves a purpose. Um but like in a situation where, like, say you're an engineer and you're confronted with a problem and then someone goes, think outside the box. The box, isn't the box, how, like, the logical approach? Isn't that, like, what you're supposed to do in this situation? I don't, I don't know. I, like what I, you're taught in school, right? <laughs> yeah, like, on the one hand, I, do, I don't disagree. I don't disagree. But I, I think it's, like, it's conventional, right? It's the conventional wisdom or it's the, it's the quote, unquote, the book. Right? Mm -hmm. I think that's what it's, it's supposed to be. The box and is the book. And thinking outside that is asking that person to then uh, uh, almost abandon or alter what they've been learned and taught their entire life and do something unprecedented. Yeah, I think um, in that same way of, uh, you know, those creatives I'm talking about who managed to break the rules but not ruin people's ideas of good, of, of what's good coming out of their new ideas. Right? Yeah. They're, still, they're still thinking, hey, this is cool instead of, oh, this is wrong. Yeah. Right? which is so hard to to hit let me tell you <laughs> oh my gosh well an, a good example of this kind of like a, a good example i can point to it's going to be a sports one so it might be lost on you That's but there's right. a movie called moneyball yeah and, yeah and thinking outside the box in in this kind of setting in moneyball it's presented as baseball is always done a certain way and these old guys sit around a room and say, I feel like this kid is worth it. And I feel like this kid isn't. He just doesn't have the spirit or the guff, like intangible things. And then Moneyball goes, no, we should look at statistics and logic. And this is thinking outside the box in this setting. It's like, let's look at statistics and logic and hire these people based on their um, overall, you know, output statistically, instead of going like, we feel like he's worth it. 
and then they get close to winning the big I don't know what it's called, but the the grand winning thing that baseball people strive to get. And it's like, so we're acknowledging that in every kind of profession and every kind of industry, there's this kind of train of thought people will fall into. And and is that no longer being creative? Is sorry, is what no longer being creative? Well, I'll think this box, this box yeah. you get in when you're in the industry, when you're in a specific role or position, and you're like presented with a problem, and you're you go by the book, you go by the rule set, you go by how you feel, how it's always worked. You're no longer being creative at that point, right? I mean, we also differentiate things by adding creative to them, right? Like when someone comes up to you and says, "Well, you have to do creative writing now." Mm-hmm. Like that's also acknowledging that other writing isn't creative <laughs> or creative thinking or creative drawing. Like these, these all, these terms all acknowledge that there's so, there's something that's not creative. Then when I say just drawing or just thinking, right or writing. Yeah, I think I think that might be because writing refers to the act of writing, which is not necessarily a creative thing. It could just be a descriptive thing or a technical thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I, I'm wondering if that's, whereas you wouldn't say like, oh, it's time to do some creative art, right? It's like, no, most people just say it's time to do art, right? You could, Because art is just always creative. So it's acknowledging that there's a non-creative portion to these things. Like, I think so. I think so. What does that look like? I would, I would say like, if I'm just drawing, like if you're just drawing for a job, right? And then creative drawing is what? Doodling? Like... Like you're drawing lines and you're building, you're an architect. Is that not yeah. creative drawing? Are you not being creative when you come up with a design for a building? I, so I don't know. I don't, so I, I'm familiar with creative writing. Like I, I'm I asking, I'm asking a lot of you here. Like we're, we're, we're no, talking that's okay. in, the, in the air, I would call this. We're talking that's, in the air, okay. right? That's okay. This is what I, I love doing this. Uh, so I, I'm very familiar with creative writing, that term, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know how creative I, or how, huh? How um uh how much I've heard the term creative drawing necessarily, okay. but right. but that being said, I think that you can draw something that is not not creative. Like so, if if you have a worksheet in front of you that says draw this line, and it, you're just you just have to reproduce this line because maybe you're trying to create like a very specific triangle for a math test. Yep. that that wouldn't be very creative drawing. Now you could do it squiggly, but then you'd also be wrong in the format of that test because they're asking you to do this thing. So it's not a creative drawing. That's what I would say. But so is it coloring inside the lines then the, the, this version of art where you're not being creative? Because someone's def- telling you what to do? Yeah, so, so like um, if you're doing like a paint by colors, like mm. then I'm sure that someone could, could argue that that's not very creative. I, I wouldn't say so because you're still doing a creative act, which is you're applying... Like you're applying art, like you're doing art. And I think that mm-hmm. as soon as you do art, even if it's instructive, but I think that like drawing a line, create a triangle and creating that triangle is simply so you can answer an angle question for mathematics. I, I think that there's a, a creative lapse there. Yeah, that, that's what I, I'm very cautious about this because I also like I hate I hate people saying that there's a, a single answer to something such as like creativity, right? Or, or especially when we talk about terms and terminology, it's like, yeah, words were made up. Like it's all just made up stuff. So I don't want to get too prescriptive. So don't think, 
think that I'm trying to to nail that stuff down. But I am also trying to come up with answers so that you have something right <laughs> that you can work with. Well, it's inter it, it's interesting to think about because when someone in JK walks up to you and says, "Okay, everyone, let's draw a sun," and you're gonna get a lot of people drawing the same sun that teacher drew, or at least a green field with a sun in the sky and maybe some blue and clouds, right? Mm -hmm. And then you'll get the one or two kids that draws something completely different, right? They're an impressionist, a young impressionist. Or they don't even draw the sun. They draw, like, oh, I wanted to draw a, a guy with a sword. Like, right, that, right. that was me as a kid. And it's like, okay, so is that being creative? And then when someone goes, oh, let's solve a math problem, now all of a sudden we're not being creative because it's not an art anymore. It's a, it's a STEM. It's, it's logical there's only one way to solve this math problem right but there's not because <laughs> we made it up we made up math i mean it's consistent it it's solvable like we can have things that math makes the world around us make sense right yeah but... i i think that there's not enough um valuable variables uh within the the rule structure of math so like one plus one will always equal two yeah, right. Unless Where, unless you do the eleven, right? <laughs> right, right. If you do if you do something hence creative, but then you're no longer applying to the the like the mathematical rules. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, I'm always like creativity gets us a lot when it comes to STEM too. Like we get we get new formulas, we get ways to do new things, we get new like chemical reactions that cause things like. Being creative is how we can like determine how the universe works at the yeah. end of the day. I don't want to take a dump on math. Like math is a noble subject in pursuit. Mm -hmm. Um and I don't want someone to, you know, to think that I'm saying, Oh, math isn't creative and it sucks. Like it's like, no, no, like there is but I'm just saying that it has a certain rule structure that is yep. then create like in terms of the creativity you do with math, I feel like the rigidity is there first and the creativity comes as a second like you 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 are creative about that rigidity yeah if that makes sense yeah how you use it because it's laws it's it's a law of the universe like you know what in, yeah in the same way that uh, as a writer like i use the same the same letters again and again and i'm and i'm i often in most cases adhere to spelling and grammar properly right yeah um yeah when people create their own languages, that is always impressive to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But then, even when they create their own languages, they ha they have to have some sort of rule structure for how the how the language works. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. So I I think that I think that just from this discussion, I think it would be fair to point out that you know having a rule set is not inherently like anti creative. But it's not something that we often associate with creativity because creativity is often trying to go, like you said, outside that box. Yeah. And the arts is often the thing people will point to and be like, that's where you can be most creative. And I would agree. It's just, it's, it's really like, why? Like, <laughs> I guess because there's no rule set, but in a lot of arts, there is. Like, you go to school and they teach you, well, this is what a drama looks like or this is what a comedy looks like. And it's like, okay. So and and you know what I so I never used to I used to never really respect that I used to think like that kills creativity, but mm -hmm. I've now I now have a different kind of respect and a different perspective for it. That a lot of the time, it's because you have um, these young. When I say young, I don't even mean age. I mean just new. I should say new. Uh, you have a new writer or a new artist or whatever 
and they go into things and they kind of do whatever. And there's nothing wrong with doing whatever, but then they're confused when people don't like that whatever. And it's like, yeah. okay, well, well, let me let me explain to you this this long history of you know you think that thing that you just created is like the first time anyone's ever done that. Well, like you were mentioning pointillism earlier, so okay, yep. that that those that dot pattern that you were making, yeah, that's already been done, and there was a whole movement around that. So like, right. let me teach you how that works, and let me teach you that technique, and you know, so it seems like there's all these rules, but it's really trying to be like it's almost trying to streamline. Where it's trying to introduce all this stuff and cram it all in so that it can be like, now go be creative. Like, like let me teach you the rules so that you know they all exist so that then you can learn which ones you need to ignore and which ones you can acknowledge. So, like, I need to learn how to spell well so that I can write words that people can understand. But then I get to misspell something on purpose to draw attention to it if I need to in a story, right? Yeah. And I feel like a lot of modern art, or at least the modern approach to art, is kind of this inevitable forced creativity where artists and people in the arts being told that original is the way and you have to be different and you can't just do pointillism or realism or oil paintings again we end up with people going here's a toilet and this is the meaning behind why i put a a string holding a tire above this toilet or something something like that right yeah, and yeah, like yeah regular regular people lose all connection to it and they lose context and it's like forced creativity to what extent like at what point have we gone too far <laughs> like yeah and and that's a whole like a whole wonderful debate but like i i definitely i think we're on the same page <laughs> so you would agree that like like i'm obviously not a fan of modern art i think certain modern art has a purpose like i think a lot of paintings i've seen of modern art i actually like um and when people say my kid could do this i go yes get them to do it like I love when I want your kids to do art, you know, <laughs> like yeah, do art. I so I I love modern art, and I even I even love some of the some of the annoying art, but I hate the stuff that's like edgy to be edgy, or the stuff that is, um, you know, it's like a single dot on a page, and it sells for like a million dollars. It's like okay, now now we're just messing around with an industry. Like now we're now we're like like there is there is um skill and talent that plays a part to make certain things like better or more interesting than, than other things. Um, I, I can always tell like when I watch a movie that is, that is totally not the kind of movie that I would think I would like, but it's yeah. so good and I can't put my finger on it. And I'm like, it must be something in the direction or the acting or whatever, something that I, you know, even though the genre is nothing like I would like, like I've read books before where, you know, the book was about, as far as I'm concerned, absolutely nothing. Yet it was fascinating and I loved it. It's like, okay, right. then th there's a skilled writer, right? Like that's what I'm experiencing and that's great. Yeah. I like how we can have these images of the college film student and like what they would output and that being consistent. Like if I go look at college student film projects, how many of them are going to be black and white? How many of them are going to be silent? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. How many... How many college artists are going to be flashing random pictures on a wall with a banana hanging down? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, this creativity that this rejection of like what, like, oh, we're going to reject what people think is art, and then it becomes its own, its own trope, its own kind of box that captures people in, and they're no longer thinking outside the box. Yeah, yeah. I mean. 
it's like you go into writing and you're like, I'm going to write a romance novel that's different. And then you just end up writing pulp, like pulpy. Yeah. And you know, it's so true. And it, and it happens the other way around. Like, that's what I was saying earlier when it's like, I was trying to write stereotypes just to ground myself. And then like very quickly they started eroding and becoming like creative. And I was like, well, oh, okay. Like it happens both ways. Absolutely. It's, it's the gnarliest thing. I love it. What do you think of like fan fiction? Like fan fiction has its own like internal box, like this own internal meta narrative of what you can expect when you read fan fiction. Yeah, there's um uh I've I've had a couple I've been a part of a couple conversations, you know, people lamenting just how um how people look down on fan fiction and they kind of say that's not real writing or whatever. And yeah. uh and, and I, I I totally side with the with the fans of fan fiction who are saying, no, this is legitimate. Like this is, you know, we're writing within um, a box, sure, but there's still creativity within that box. And fan fiction is just fiction in many ways. It just has another author attached to it or it has another world attached to it. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's really, really cool. Yeah, I think a good example of that would be like Batman, right? And sure. if you look at how many different movies of Batman are made, well, a lot of the, you know, you hear this a lot, right? You hear like, well, they're doing the origin story again. But let's look at how many different origin story tanks there are, at least in the movie industry alone, let alone the comics or like novel industry. Mm-hmm. And it's like each director approaches the same story with their own take, and it becomes something different, right? Yeah, and now I am a little judgmental when it comes to sort of the the bigger, the the producers and stuff doing that, because a lot of the time I think it's, I think it's a money grab. I think it's a bit of a safe space, you know, like it's, it's a, yep. Oh, we know that people are going to see this. So we're going to do it. And it's like, okay, but like, we would really like to advance this further. Like, I'd really like to see something different with this, you know? Um, well, yeah. 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 I mean, studios nowadays, and I could go on the, this for a while, but they're only going to invest in stuff that's safe bets. Yeah. And very yeah. rarely do you get a studio that'll invest in something that's not a safe bet. And if it's a main studio, they're only doing that because Quentin Tarantino's behind it. That type of thing. Mm-hmm. And it's like everything else, it's like it's a reboot or it's gotta be it's gotta be from a big property. And I mean, we can look at Disney for taking a risk on Marvel and it panning out with the Avengers and making them a billion dollars. Paid off big time, yeah. I, I think in those cases, like creativity's so funny where it, like it either it either rocks or it flops, right? Yeah. And but that's now, just the nature of it. That's the nature of it. That's okay. Yeah, and now everyone's trying to replicate what Marvel did by doing things the wrong way, and it's like their creativity paid off, and now it's the standard. Now it's the box, because mm-hmm. once creativity gets past the point of popular, it becomes the standard. And it's like, well, they're, we're just trying to replicate this box as quickly as possible because it's making money. Like They're not, they're not thinking creatively. They're just approaching it Oh, this is what they did. Okay, let's just do that, but in two movies instead of five. Like, you just have to look at the DC universe to to see how that pans out for them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. If if you were given a property, right? Like, if I said, go write a Superman book, how creative could you be? Because you have all that weight of that character. In oh, it. it's stories, um, right? And the expectations. Yeah, I think I think in a case like that. I think you have to just so so okay so before i 
<laughs> this is going to sound kind of funny, but I swear, like, this is what I did for my books. I asked myself how how original or how creative I'm actually going to be before I really start getting into it. So with um, my thriller books, like, I decided right off the top, I was like, look, these are these are my first books. So let's set the bar a little bit lower in terms of, like, let, let, let's not try and create you know, something that, oh, that's the most creative thing and no one's ever seen it before. And, oh, we're going to have people traveling within their dreams and time travel. And it's like, no, let's just try and write a cohesive story. Let's let's try and make it make as much sense as possible. And let, let's really try and hit these like these basic benchmarks. Mm-hmm. So so I think that that's the, the first thing you need to do, though, at the beginning is decide how creative you are. So so at the start, I was like, I'm not going to be too, too creative in that in that uh uh, artistic sense, right? That I would normally be like, oh yeah, I'm going to write a fantasy. It's going to have spaceships. It's going to be awesome. It's like, you know, I decided I wasn't going to be very creative. My other piece, I was like, I'm going to be this much creative. And I think that that's how I'd go into it. So if I was given Superman, it's like, okay, how original am I making this? Am I just trying to recreate? Am I just trying to please fans? Am I just trying to write something that people are going to recognize? Or am I really trying to do something different? Am I trying to write, you know, Red Sun? Am I really trying to do something different with Superman? It's something that people really haven't seen before. Yeah. I mean, with Superman in particular, I'm tired of the evil Superman. Like, <laughs> I'm I'm sick of it. Like, that's all people seem to do when they're like, let's do Superman, but different. Okay, he's evil. He's like a fascist now. Uh, it's, it's because it's the easy answer. It's the easy way to be creative, right? Ironically. Yeah. It's like, okay, what's the opposite? Okay, then do it. Um, and yeah, it's hard to do something authentic, right? Well, and, and I think that's what happened with these stereotypes that I was trying to create. I think they just became authentic, and it, that just broke away from, from the the, the campy stereotypeness of it. Is subverting expectations being creative? No, <laughs> it's not. Not right now. Not in this culture. No. On its own, no, it's not. Like I don't think looking at something and going, "What if we did the opposite?" is creative, right? Like. Because all you're doing is drawing an easy parallel. Like it would be like looking at a white wall and going, "Well, let's make it black, and now it's different." Right, right. No, you're just doing the opposite. It's like we're acknowledging if we're acknowledging that creativity has is like a circle, right? And that the outer edges of that circle are where you're most creative, and eventually it'll loop back around, and the exact opposite of where you started is just as not creative as where you started. The box you started at what's accepted by society as a whole is just not as creative as the count, the, the overall counterculture for the most part, right? Like right. you can see this in indie movies or indie games versus AAA games or AAA movies where it's like, I can list off tropes and trappings of those movies and it'll be consistent. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. And uh, I'm always frustrated by movies like, like these really big movies really big ips or really big concepts and they flop and you know they flop because the fan base is like this is this is ludicrous like why why would you even think this would be good and i always ask myself i'm like did they just go out on like why couldn't they just go out on the street and ask like a couple average people hey would you like this or not you know you find out really quickly like i know it's more complicated than that but i sometimes wonder you know yeah and i also like to think that you can have something that's umbrella and has canon like we talked about tolkien for example that has canon that's not necessarily like someone's canon but canon of of a setting like we talked about uh punks previously you can have that kind of setting or something people want to see when you address those settings and still explore interesting dimensions that 
Like it can be underdeveloped in a way where there's room there for you to jump in and people are wanting this, but it's not there. Right. Like treasure planet is probably a great example for this. Oh, yeah. How many books or settings where there's air and space and you still, we still use sails in space and there's kind of like, like it's treasure planet and space. Right. But it, at the same time, no one's kind of explored that type of universe much as far as I'm aware. No, it was, it was a, um, yeah, I mean, I, I love Treasure Planet, and I think that it was just a really cool example of, hey, we can take, like, a well-known um, idea, and if we apply, like, a slightly different, I mean, I would say genre, but, like, a slightly different genre or approach to it, like, you can create something just so lovable, you yeah. know? Um, and, and it's not, you know, some people might be like, oh, yeah, it's kind of steampunk. It's like, kind of, but, like, not really. Like, it really was its own... There's thing no in some steam, ways. Though. <laughs> yeah, I I have seen so I have seen a couple similar things creeping about, but I haven't seen like a whole genre crop up with it. I haven't seen it. Like you're right, it hasn't been done to the extent that I would love to see some more stuff mm-hmm. get produced. Yeah. So let's get into the psychology and cognitive science of creativity. The okay, real yeah. meat and gritty of this. Nice. Yeah. So we've been talking kind of in what I like to call talking the air, where we talk very loosely about topics and we talk very like straight from the gut to the mouth kind of how we're feeling about it things we we recognize about this concept that we call creativity and but this is where some people have gone in and wrote down (laughs) what exactly they feel those things are um so when it comes creativity there's these things called process theories like how we process creativity um using our minds and there are different ways we're supposed to be able to process creativity uh the first one is called incubation and it's basically where by taking a temporary break from creative problem solving you gain insight um we're basically taking a period of time stepping away stepping back um letting things digest inside of yourself will make you more creative does this ring true for you a hundred percent this is um a really well-known technique in uh, writing, mm-hmm. which is when you write your um, your first draft, and then you, Steve, this is Stephen King in particular says, you know, lock it away for two weeks, and then two weeks later you come back to it. When you've um, you've you've under the one hand, yeah, you've incubated it and you're thinking about it, but you're also not thinking about it, and you come to it with like fresh eyes, as if you've almost like you're like, what? I don't even remember writing some of these things, and that way you're able to edit, and that way you're able to find flaws and because you're you're not as associated, you're not as in it. Um, the yeah. same reason why you have like you know other people edit your work because it's very hard for you to edit your work, you know. But that incubation period, I mean, there are times where, and I'm sure a lot of people can attest to this. You're confronted with a problem, you spend so so long on it, and then like you go to sleep, and the next day you hit it on the first try, right? Yeah. Like, and even something as stupid as like you know, oh, I'm I'm playing this like mission in a video game and I can't beat it for the life of me. The next day I come back, I'm like, oh, boom, boom, done. It's like, what? Like, why couldn't I have just done that yesterday? <laughs> That's it. Well, yeah. I mean, they literally describe this process as letting your unconscious take over mm. because mm-hmm. it allows for connections to be made that, while you're thinking logically at the problem, might not have occurred, right? So, like, you come at a problem and you get writer's block, which is basically when your mind can only think one way and you're kind of trying to jam it through a hole. And writer's block is just not 
not working for you. And then being able to step away, clear your mind, recenter yourself, and then all of a sudden your brain is like no longer focused on solving this problem. It's like letting ideas th flow through you. A part of your brain activates that you weren't able to get going when you're focusing on it, right? Okay, yeah. You see a lot of artists kind of do this just off the bat where they go out into the world and they look at things and they let those things define what they're going to paint, right? So they don't, they don't have a plan ahead. Yeah. Yeah. They go all, like some artists, like, and I'm not talking about the artists that go out, set up an easel and paint the scenery in front of them. I'm talking about artists that go out in the world, go, I saw the shape. I saw this color. I saw this building. That's going to be my ne ne next piece of art. And those exist. Um, the next one is called convergent and divergent thinking. And it basically is when you are aiming for a single or correct solution of problem that's convergent, whereas divergent involves generating multiple answers to a problem. I guess the brainstorm is the best example of this. Yeah, okay. Right? So I don't know what you would gain from convergent thinking maybe being concentrated on something to gain creative creativity. Not really sure. Like it's hard to think of one thing being creative. Do you notice that? Like when we talk like, about creative, we talk about multiples as opposed to a single strand of creativity. Yeah. Like, yeah. Coming up with one idea isn't good enough. Almost like, I'm not saying that's true, but it, I, I find myself often going, well, if I'm, if I'm focusing in on one thing, I'm no longer being creative. Right. I, I don't know what that is. <laughs> Be interesting to see if that's like a real like train of thought. Um, there's the creative cognition approach, which is when you take creativity into two phases where you generate ideas and then you let those ideas become physical and you imagine what those kind of ideas would look like in real life. And you have to rely on structure and predictable ways of these properties kind of coming to fruition um so like the word structure there kind of makes me wonder how creative this process actually is once again like when someone brings in words like order structure or history like things that need you to base yourself off of it's it's i just have this reaction instantly where i'm like is that being creative anymore mm -hmm. Like, obviously, we have to draw on a past experiences and things around us to, to gain any sort of creativity, right? Like, when you're young, a lot of people find it easier to be creative because there's nothing left. There's nothing in you yet. Yes. Uh, yes. And so you'll get kids being like, oh, this is my gargle flump. He's my imaginary friend. Mm -hmm. And, like, that's amazing. And then we lose that the more we're exposed to the world around us, the more we we read almost the more we watch <laughs> the more we play you know yeah and i think i think that's because other ideas embed more other ideas start to establish themselves and then that leaves less room for creativity in some ways because then you're like oh that's the idea that's what i'm supposed to do or yeah like you're creating a box and the box is life yeah arthur costeller came up with the idea of conceptual blending which was basically when two frames a reference converge, that's where creative uh, thinking arises. That's interesting. Can you give an example of two frames of thinking, maybe? Um, metaphor analogy. Okay. Okay. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I can I can get on board with it, but I don't know if I would see that as like the exclusive place where creativity is born. Yeah, there's a bunch of other ones, and I mean, most people would be able to find them on the wiki. But like, I I just wanted to talk through some of these like scientific attempts to explain what creativity is or where it's coming from or the sure, process yeah. of it. Yeah, I mean, um, um... like, what drives someone to look at like? Oh, I'm going to grab the stick and instead of just pointing it at this animal, I'm going to throw it. Or so, oh, I'm, so, sorry, go ahead. Like, you know, you just know like like you you're always doing something the same way and then one day co- someone comes along and does it differently. Like how does that even happen? Yeah, so so if we're going like super like basic evolutionary that kind of like just with the stick example for example. So you have you have uh you know, Einstein, it was Einstein, right, who said uh, insanity is doing the same thing again and again, expecting different results. So if you're, okay, so if you're trying to get a different result, you have to do something differently. Okay, so I want to be able to kill that deer so I can eat its meat. Okay, what have I been doing? I've not been able to reach that deer. Okay, could something else reach that deer? Well, I know that I can throw things. Okay, let me throw something at that deer, right? Oh, yeah. what else could I attach to this to make it more aerodynamic? I mean, you wouldn't be thinking that way aerodynamic right but okay next thing you know you've you're creating you're putting you're you're fletching right and you're creating yeah. proper arrows and you know you've got a bow and it's you know maybe you had a sling before but now you're finding a bow is a little more effective or whatever so i think i think that's where some of it comes from it's that what if it's that we need something different than what we have um and i think i think creativity is also driven by need a lot of the time so like i need to eat so I need to find whatever way possible in order to eat. I will do some crazy, crazy things if I think that it might even have a hint of being able to get me that food, right? Yeah. So yeah. you're saying it, you're saying at first it came from a need, right? Like it's survival. Yeah, but but again, I don't I don't like the idea of say, of just saying oh creativity is purely a utilitarian evolutionary practice. It's like no, I, I think that there is this argument for an artistic non necessary thing that comes from us and. Well, yeah. I mean, there's wants, right? Like, cooking doesn't need to exist. Right. We just prefer better food, and it's awesome. Well, we can we can do different different cool experiments. Yeah. Well, there's even a subset of cooking that's literally about presentation, like not about taste. Right. Right. Like it's called. Oh, I, it's like I I can't even remember what it is, but they like you'll get like where they put a plate in front of you and you eat it. And it looks weird and you eat it and like balls will explode in your mouth and it'll be like, oh my gosh, that was butter or that was like ice cream or something like, and it's all about like your, the, the experience in your mouth, like what's happening there. Like That's there's wild. a subset of cooking for that too. And like that, by the way, those types of cookings will cost you a lot of money. If you ever go <laughs> to a restaurant that does anything like this. Are you speaking from experience here? <laughs> well, I, I just like. I, I've just heard stories of like people going into restaurants and like really expensive restaurant. Like you'll hear this trope all the time where people go into restaurants that are really expensive and they're given a plate where like there's a thumbtack sized piece of food in front right, of them. Right, right. And they're hungry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just paid a hundred dollars and now I have to get a burger. <laughs> but what the rich yeah. people are really paying for is when you put that thumbtack in your mouth, you're experiencing something you can't get at your local mom and pop diner for right, the most right. on average. Like I, I'm not, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna talk for every restaurant out there. I'm sure there's some overpriced restaurants, obviously, mm-hmm. right? Some that aren't worth it. But 
with all of this, would you say then creativity is a subset of intelligence? Like it, it needs to be related to how intelligent you are? No. I don't no. like 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 well, so I don't think more intelligent people are more creative necessarily, or vice versa. Because I think that you can I think that you can have like like for example, a really dumb kid and they can do something creativity creatively that is like totally off the wall, you know? And you're yeah. like, oh my gosh, you know, that's amazing. This toddler came up with this like like you were saying about the global wobble, right? This is my friend, he's the global wobble. And like the adult CEO or whatever is like, what the hell? Like, you know. Yeah. I I wanna say creativity isn't related to intelligence, but at the same time, don't you need intelligence to be creative sometimes no, but, but can't you be can't you be stupid and come up with a creative like solution to something right so like so, but is so I, you have is einstein who comes up with theory of relativity mm-hmm. gonna do that if he's not as intelligent as he was? i so so okay so i kind of agree but i'm i'm also kind of trying to push the boundaries here a bit i'm wondering if einstein is just operating within his smart sphere but he's smart. He's in that smart sphere to begin with. And so he's creative. And he's, and I mean, yeah, and he's creative, but like, if you're, if you're, you know, let's say you're in a really, really boring, crappy subject matter or field or something, and no one ever does something creative and you do something very, very slightly creative. And it ends up being like, because it's the first thing to be creative. It's not that you're particularly like creative necessarily. You just did the thing that no one else was doing. Right. Yeah. Or vice versa. You can be in a really, um, really highly creative field and, you know, you're very, very intelligent, but because you just can't do something so, so creative, like you can have, you can have a very, very intelligent writer and they can write absolute drivel. Right. It happens all the time. Yep. Yeah. And you can, and then, and then simultaneously you can have an idiot, right? Like really good stuff. And you're like, man, like what now? Mm-hmm. A lot of people would say like our imagination and creativity comes from our dreams, right? Sure. Would surrealism be that in like the inevitable ultimate type type of creativity where you abandon all all laws around us? Um, mixed feelings about surrealism. Right. I, yeah, I think I I don't think that there is like an ultimate creativity. Mm. Like like I, I I think I think if you're talking about getting outside the box. And to get outside the box, it's to ignore the box altogether, or it's to operate as if there is no box, or to destroy the box. Sure, like I can, I can see that argument, and that's like that's totally fair. But I also hesitate to sort of put together a hierarchy of creativity because I think that that is, I think that's something that's kind of anti- antithetical towards creativity. I don't think yeah. creativity is hierarchical. I I wouldn't either. Yeah. Um. I mean, the ancient Greeks believed in these things called muses, which were Mm -hmm. a a demon. And you might recognize that word if you're listening, because a lot of artists (laughs) will talk about their muse or their like inspiration for something. And that like, and we're going to go back to Plato, but that's kind of like his approach to this where it's like, Oh, you're inspired. Well, that means you're imitating Mm -hmm. the, um, the best writers and, and other creatives um nowadays uh they 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 talk about the muse but they often give advice to newer creators and and they see these new creators who are waiting around for inspiration and they say like the 
the muse only visits those who are already working, right? Mm -hmm. Or they say, what I like to say is murder your muse, like, like completely, you have to operate without your muse. And you will find that that dedication and consistency and hard work is a much more reliable and and proficient way to to have inspiration than to wait around for this demon for this goddess to to visit and, and kiss you on the cheek and oh now i can write you know i'm finally inspired you know um so there are ways yeah. there are ways to like artificially sort of summon them in some ways yeah i mean i want to talk about what happened during the renaissance like is the oppression of creativity inevitably going to result in an explosion of it because that's what the renaissance was right Yes, I, I, I would, I would hesitantly ag agree. Like just in general, I think when you oppress something, it it, it tends to be like a springboard, right? especially it'll, something it'll like creativity, up. which is just so resilient, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, like in the Renaissance, you go from a lot of people who are uneducated and oppressed in a feudal system to like this kind of enlightenment. Maybe that's not the way to do things. And then as soon as that kind of ch starts to change a little. And more freedoms and more power and more education are given to the commoner. You get an explosion of art, science, literature, etc. Yeah, I also, I'm also. There's also a lot of other stuff happening during the Renaissance. So, like the the politics and the economics and the class structures and things like that. So, like that is all interrelating. So, I don't know how much one thing explodes all the others, right? Um, but I think it is important to note that the a lot of the Renaissance style. Um, artistry that is coming about eventually becomes the standard um don't mess with this this is the way things are the conservative um artistry that then in the uh like 1800s the impressionists are trying to 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 uh get past and are trying to work past and say no we want to be creative and they're like no you have to do things the renaissance way right so so i mean these things have a tendency to to recreate themselves as well. yeah creative would you agree that creativity is another good emotion, like a good thing? I, okay, so so generally my initial response is like, yeah, absolutely, hell yeah. But I think that I'm hesitant to say it's whether it's it's good or bad, it just is. Like, and I, I hate to be that annoying philosopher who's like, ah, oh, there is no such thing as good and bad. Like, but I, I kind of do think that creativity just just exists. It just It just is. It's a psychological, beautiful, wonderful thing. Um, you, would you agree it's better to be to have creativity than not? Hundred percent, yeah. Okay, yeah. So in that way, it's positive. Yeah, unless you're trying to create a dystopic society where everyone is like the same and will follow rules. Yeah, which I don't think is possible. <laughs> no. Like, you notice how when someone talks about a evil person, even when they say he was creative, it's almost in a positive way. <laughs> like yes. that. It that's the most blatant example of how creativity is is something we value and is positive because even when we're talking about someone who has done something awful we give them that oh well he was creative about it <laughs> right like yeah, yeah yeah i don't know like we seem to value this idea that we'd rather be different be creative than all follow the same rule book and I mean, every time you see someone change the, the playbook in sports or come up with a new art style or and, write, and write has, in, sorry, go. No, no, that, that has a lot to do with our, our current culture and how we appreciate individualism and, and um, creativity in the arts. That's not something that is 
um, universal throughout human history, right? There yeah. are periods where it's like, if you are that, like you are not, like that's bad. Like you're not a lot, the same as everyone else. And we need everyone to be the same because, you know, we're just trying to survive or we're all trying to worship, you know, the king or whatever, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like almost creativity suppressed is better for people who want to stay in power. Um, in many ways, because then you don't get any new ideas, right? Yeah. And if you, if you want consistency, then you want less new newness, right? Yeah. So, which is why, which is why a lot of like oppression then tends to stagnate, like thing, like things like um, technology and a lot of like chaos and upheaval can, on the one hand, can create a lot of problems, obviously, but can also result in um, leaps and bounds. Yeah. Yeah. Like a lot of fear of change. Uh, because you like the way things are and then creativity inevitably will lead to change which you said uh, uh very early on which i thought you know it's just it's a small note but it's an important note that creativity has so much to do with change mm -hmm. i mean it's great to have someone who actually like uses their creativity as a job but i often wonder like does the incentive of monetary gain change the approach people take to their creativity uh, yeah. So like I, for example, I write differently knowing that people are reading my work. And I also write differently knowing that people are going to be buying the work. So for example, I am working right now on a, um, working with a cover designer to develop a cover for my new book. And um, you might think, oh, well, you just need to get like a, a good flashy image. And it's like, no, I actually have to make sure that the colors correspond with the genre so that people who know that genre very well are immediately like, oh, that's the colors of the genre. So that means that this is what the genre is. Like, I have to be able to to have those things in place. Now, I don't consider that necessarily a, a bad thing. Like, that's just me. Like, I don't think the cover looks bad because I have to have those colors or whatever. But that is affecting how I'm going about the process for sure. Yeah, I think I think we've covered a lot of ground here. And I mm -hmm. think, like, when someone comes up with an idea even if it already exists, even if it's so overwhelming in the area you were trying to, to, to break into, if you present it in a way that's good enough, you can break in, let alone creative enough. And as long as you present something like creatively different, even on a, it can be even a minor thing, you will break into that space. Yeah, there are um, really big arguments about. Um... Uh, talent, like regional talent versus um, training versus, you know, it, it just inherited uh, abilities and so on. And I find that in in most cases, talent is the thing that like puts you ahead. But in almost all cases, training will supersede talent eventually. So the yeah. person who the person who is more talent versus the person who just trains relentlessly um, but I also think that then on top of that, then you have the unique take, right? The unique abilities that, that people just bring to the table. And I think that that's something that is just, uh, that, that should never be, um, uh, it should always be considered that that's also a piece, a piece of the puzzle that is so elusive Yeah. when we're creating stuff. Yeah. I, I said my philosophy is very individualist and like that, that's kind of where, why I, I, I am the way I am. Um, just the idea that, the person standing next to me is going to think and approach something completely different, even if they agree with me. 
uh, like just their thought process. Something I might something I might only not even see happening is going to be different than what I'm doing. Yeah, and I, um, for me, I've realized that even though I have what I think are brilliant ideas, like I need other people to be able to refine those ideas and get them even better. And a lot of the time, other people can genuinely come up with better ideas after after the fact, after I put forward what I have. I've, I've seen it firsthand. I've seen people do better with things that are still technically mine. So for example, like I directed a play that I wrote and I had actors like change their lines for the better, right? And so that just says so much about the power of creativity where it's like, here I am being like, this is how you say your lines. This is how I want you to say them. And they do something different and it's just i'm like okay that's better do, do, forget forget what i was doing <laughs> well let's touch on that like sure. there's there's this idea that you have to be creative on your own right there's mm -hmm. this idea that you have to strive out there and what you build is yours and that's your accomplishment right like and then there's what you just said where if creativity is done as a group or a like a commune like it also achieves something great, sometimes better than what you can do on your own. Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, like, maybe that's kind of where we should shift our thinking, like, instead of being like, well, we all need to do it as, you need to do it on your own, and it, as an individual to solve this problem or to break into this industry. Maybe we should shift to the, no, there's people there to help you. There's people yes. to build it so, up with you. I... I believe like or what I found in the last few years is that, um, you know, you have your, you have your tribe and you do what you can to strengthen the people uh, around you that are supporting you. And that can be mutual strength. So for example, the person that I hire um, to do my editing is, uh, you know, a friend of mine, but I hire them because they're also skilled in editing, but then they're able to put on their CV that they edited this project and I'm able to publish my book. And then we're both able to progress with those new credentials that we've got, for example. Yeah. Um, so we're both able to grow. And that that's just purely talking about the the like the job technical side of things. I'm not even talking about the creative thing that comes about with okay, obviously obviously like the just the uh the importance of having someone else uh who knows their stuff edit um my work and someone who's an outside outside eye and who has a different take on things. Um I always have my um my work read by beta readers. Beta readers are readers that read stuff before it kind of gets published, before it goes out. Um, and so I have beta readers read my stuff even before I put an editor onto the work. And uh, it's really cool. I, I get, you know, a lot of my beta readers end up saying similar things that, and, and a lot of the time I wasn't necessarily anticipating them. So like I, I had in my one book, in my first book, I had uh, I'm pretty sure almost all the beta readers say, wow, this beginning is like really cruddy. Like it just is not good. Um, and I ended up, because of that, I ended up rewriting it and making it stronger. And now people really like the beginning, but I wouldn't have been able to, to do that without having not only beta readers, but a number of beta readers collaborate together separately, right? Like they didn't, they didn't all talk to one another, but they all yeah. came to the, that similar same conclusion that was able to give me a, a really clear direction and where to go. Yeah. It's interesting you say that because in the movie industry, that's almost a negative. Whenever you hear what an idea was before the focus group got to it, you're always like, that would have been way better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, so the difference is that the, the focus group I'm, I, I'm using is, uh, is are people that are going to be buying and, and reading the book. And there are also people that I, I trust to like 
give give the sometimes the harsh criticism that I need. They're they're average people. They're they're the people out on the street that I was saying earlier. It's like, man, why didn't you guys just ask like average normal people as opposed to I don't know the big wigs who are like, mm, I would I think this needs to be a little more this or that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to point out that I I believe we've been creative here today in this conversation. Boom, creative conversation. And I think. You can be creative in a meta sense about everything you approach. Um, even if you write the book that someone else has written, maybe you wrote it with your foot. I don't know. Maybe you slept one hour more than they did, and that gave you a different word to use. Um, it's just processes can be different and creative. Uh, it doesn't always have to be what you put out there. It can be how you approach it. Um, I mean, it's easy to point at genres and be like, look at this person. He did what already existed, but he did it so well that he defined it. Game Games do that a lot. Like recently, there's a game called Hades, which is a roguelike. Oh, so good. Yeah. It doesn't do anything roguelikes haven't done before or video games haven't done before, but it does it so well and so in depth and so perf- perfect that it defines it itself. And then on top of that, like it's basically just borrowing from Greek mythology with a new character thrown in, and you're just you're still invested because of how the approach to these characters, the art design, everything about it is its own unique thing. And I guess that's kind of where we'll end it for today. And I want to thank you, Colin, for bringing your author opinions on here. And yeah, no problem. Thank you. It's it's always good when someone like I myself and being creative in this creating this podcast, but it's always nice when someone has a direct like input on this kind of thing. And you are with your author authorship. Uh, if you're listening, I encourage you to try taking out a blank piece of paper, closing your eyes and trying to draw something that isn't influenced by literally anything and see how hard that is. <laughs> Not even Plato. Not even Plato in his form should influence. So, because you know deep down a lot of you listening could do that as a kid. You could draw creatures that aren't dragons, that aren't unicorns, that aren't, you know, existing already. And you know you can do it. So try it, and maybe you can be creative. Please like, comment, and subscribe if you like this show. Uh, help us get off the ground. Help us make more content. Help Collins sell his book. If you, yeah. if you, if you like what he said here, buy his book. Um, join us next time for a special episode, a mini series that's going to be common going forward with armchair philosophers, fantasy worlds, Tolkien. Nice. And if you, if you really want all the news, please follow us on Twitter. We are on Spotify as well. So thanks again. I'm your host, Andrew Ryan. Stay healthy.